You be Jesus, let God be God. You be Jesus, let God be God. And again, when I first heard that, I'm like, well, that's toony. Like, it's a nice quote. But when I actually started thinking, and I want you guys to really think through this for a minute, what does it mean to be Jesus and let God be God? When we're Jesus in a situation, when we're, when we're facing, maybe it's, maybe it's a trial we're facing. Let's all just jump in one story together. Say we're all facing this specific trial, this specific frustration, this specific thing in our life. And all of us are different. We're all coming from different places. So we're seeing things from a different perspective, but we're facing this thing in our life. Okay. And because we're facing this thing, we can face it from our own opinion. I can face it from my own belief. I can face it based on previous circumstances that might be similar to this one. I can face it from a selfish perspective of how I want this to benefit me. I can face it from this is how this is affecting me. I can face it from that situation or I can be Jesus and let God be God. So what does that mean? If I face it from the perspective of Jesus, Jesus responds in unconditional love. When Jesus brings correction to a situation, he does it in truth, but he does it in love. Jesus would never point out and and belittle the wrong in someone else. Jesus would never be overwhelmed by a circumstance and lose peace. Jesus would handle things according to the word of God. Why? Because he is the living word of God. So Jesus would handle it according to the word of God, but then it would be hands off. And now I'm going to let God step in and do what only God can do. And see, that comes with an entire new place of surrender for us because we are kind of control freaks, if we're honest, right? All of, not all of you are like, no, not me. But we really are. We want to control the outcome of things. The reason that COVID has turned the world upside down is because nobody has control over what's happening, right? Everybody's lost control. You're told what you can wear, where you can wear it, when you can wear it, and how much hand sanitizer you got to put on in a given day. You no longer have control over that. So we've lost control, and so we're flipping out. And it's the same thing in the situations with our life, is we want to pray over situations, but secretly we're like, God, I thank you for hearing my prayer. I'm just going to help you out with this one and handle it the way that I want to, because I want to make sure the outcome comes out the way that I want it to come out right? So that's how we handle these situations. So we behind the scenes want to help God out and handle the situations that we face in life. Maybe it's finances. Are we tithers? Because that is doing what the word would say and then letting God be God. If not, then we're saying, God, I'll handle my finances because I don't exactly trust that you're going to give me what I need to make it. Maybe it's that it, we're, we're looking for a job. We're in a, we're in a situation where I need a job. I need a job to provide for my family. But we know that God has a job for us if we would just wait it out and stay in prayer. Or there's this other job that I can just go get and take care of myself by myself. Do we see the difference? Do we see the, you guys with me, you got to talk back to me because you're way far away. And we need a crowd mic so I can actually hear you nod. I can hear you nod in the other building. Okay, so we can, we can address all these situations. What about with our spouse? How many of you guys have the perfect spouse? You're like, wow, I just need to catch up. You are all liars. <laughs> oh my gosh. Except for Tell, he's telling the truth. But um, no, we never actually think my spouse is perfect. You may say it, but behind the scenes you're like, 
all right, they got the rest of my life to change them into what I would actually like to be married to, right? I know I married you, but I thought you were moldable. But I, I didn't know you came just, you know, one for all. And so we never want to actually admit to this, but behind the scenes, instead of just praying for our husband, instead of being the wife that says, I'm going to respond the way the word says to respond, no matter what, I'm not going to snap back. I'm not going to manipulate the situation. I'm not going to whatever it is that you do, because we all have those things and you know it, but don't let your secrets out. Don't tell your husband. Um, but we all have those things that we make sure we get what we want, right? Or we can respond to the word of God and let God do a work in our husband because we can't change people. Only God can only God can. And maybe it's okay. So now let's go from instead of in our marriage, maybe let's go with our boss. We have a boss that we are not getting along with, right? So I have a boss. I can either respond to that situation according to the word of God. I can respond in honor. I can respond in respect. I can respond in a way that brings honor to God, brings out the righteousness of God, even if that means sacrificing being right in a situation for the sake of righteousness in the situation. Do we see where this is going? So I can respond in a way that is correct according to the word of God so that God can do a work because nothing, guys, if we could get the, get the idea here that nothing I can do in my own strength can even lay a finger on what God can do in a second. What I can accomplish with a lifetime of doing things in my own strength, fixing things in my own strength, trying to fix my marriage, trying to fix my job, trying to manage my finances, trying to find my purpose, trying to do all of these things, I can never accomplish in a lifetime what God can do in a second. But in order to see what God can do in a second, we have to submit ourselves to the word of God. Again, our title, you be Jesus, let God be God. Why? Okay, when Jesus came to earth, and we're gonna get into this, I'm gonna lay a foundation for you. But when Jesus came to the earth, he was the living, breathing word of God, right? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Then we find out the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was Jesus. He was the living, breathing word of God, okay? We now have access to the living word of God here. We have access to, if we're, born again Christians, we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us, right? And then through the Holy Spirit, this word becomes activated in our lives. It's activated to do what we need it to do. The best way I can explain that is, have anybody ever got like a Visa gift card? Nobody's ever got a Visa gift card. All right, we have got Visa. Are you guys like with me? I'm sure you're just taking so many notes and you're overwhelmed by the title that you haven't caught up with me yet. That's what's going on, right? Okay, so those of you with a Visa gift card, can you just take that Visa gift card and go spend it? You gotta go activate it, right? There's an activation number on the back until you activate that card. Okay, I have a business debit card that I got a year ago that still doesn't work because I haven't figured out how to activate it. <laughs> I've tried to use it several times. So our business has lots of money because I don't have access to spending. Um, but I, until I activate that card, it's not going to work. Okay. Now I can fill myself with the word of God. I can be in the word. I can read the word every day, but if I do not submit to the word of God and go, Holy spirit, I need your help to activate this in my life. I can never actually access the funds that are provided to me. Does that make sense? 
So I have this card that I'm trying to use in these situations. I'm swiping my card in my marriage. <laughs> never works out well. Because let's agree, like we never agree on spending. <laughs> so swiping your card in your marriage doesn't work. You can't swipe your card with your boss because you don't make enough to swim that. And then we can't swipe our card over here. Wherever we're at, we seem like we can't swipe our card, right? It's not working. I read my Bible this morning. I don't know why God isn't coming through today, even though I'm acting however I want to act, thinking however I want to think, speaking however I want to speak. But I read my Bible this morning. I went to church Sunday. I know it's Saturday, but I mean he makes my cup runneth over. That's how we we try to go through our day. But until we get into the word and go, God, I need you to activate this in my life. I'm going to walk this out in my life with no preconceived notions, no hidden intentions that we say, I'm going to take this word of God and I'm going to apply it regardless of what it costs me, regardless of how angry it makes me feel because I really don't think I'm getting my way and I'm trusting God with something I have complete control over. I'm going to watch God move on my behalf because I decided to submit to the word of God. I decided to submit to what God's word said, and I'm going to watch what God can do for me in a second than what I can try to do over a lifetime. In one second, God can work on our behalf. In one second. Okay, so let's back up and lay a foundation for all of this. Okay, first and foremost, God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of our lives. Do we believe that? Three of you. Do we believe that? All right, that's better. Okay, we believe that God has a plan and God has a purpose for our lives. We believe that we are made in the image and the likeness of God. Here's what I want to confront really quick. As I was praying last night, well, early this morning, I guess. As I was praying early this morning, I felt like something that kept coming up was, I'm just trying to find my purpose. I'm just trying to find my purpose. I'm just trying to find my purpose. And so I don't know who here has thought that. I don't know who here is thinking that. I don't know where we're at. But the thought of, I'm just trying to find my purpose. Here's the thing. You don't have to find it. You were created with it. And that's what I want us to get. I'm going to lay this foundation is that, you see, God created you with a purpose. It's already on the inside of you. You do not have to go find it somewhere. Now, your purpose becomes more and more alive on the inside of you as you get into the word of God. Why? Because we are created in the image of God. We're not created in the image of the world. We are born into sin, yes, but as soon as we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, okay, our life is now made alive to God. Our spirit man is made alive to God. That being the case, I no longer, you see, am made in the image of something else. I'm made in the image of God. And so for me to find out who I am and for the life to be given to the purpose that's already on the inside of me, I have to be in the word of God. Do we see how this is all coming together? Being in the word of God. That's we're going to come back to this a thousand times. The only way to be Jesus in a situation and let God be God is to submit to the word. The only way for my purpose to be activated in my life, for life to be given to the purpose that's already on the inside of me, I have to be in the word of God. There's no other place that I can find it. You will never find your purpose in your job. You will never find your purpose in your spouse. You will never find your purpose in a college. You will never find your purpose in a thing, in an addiction, in a friend, in anything else. You will never find your purpose outside of the word of God because anything outside of the word of God, none of that created you. God created you. So your purpose can only be found in the word. 
And so we were created with a purpose. You no longer have to look for your purpose. It's already on the inside of you. So now let's, let's keep going here. Okay, so, so why, why be Jesus? Why was Jesus sent? I think we need to go back sometimes and really understand what it was that Jesus really did for us. Where we were before all this. When sin entered the world, we were eternally separated from God. We no longer, no longer had access to God's grace. How many of you guys know that not having access to God's grace would be a big bummer in today's world? Okay, so zero access to God's grace at this time because of what sin did. There's zero access to his grace. There's zero access to his presence. No presence of God. Zero. You cannot access it because of what sin had done. There was no forgiveness of sin. And so you're, you're on this earth, but you have no access to your creator. We don't even know what that would be like. Because it's so easy for us to, to read the word. It's so easy for us to pray. It's so easy for us to be able to pray for forgiveness and, and access God's grace. That was not a thing. And so God, his rescue plan for humanity was, I do not want sin to keep my people in bondage any longer. I do not want sin to keep my people in darkness any longer. I do not want, because sin hurts. I do not want it to affect people anymore. I want to destroy it. I want to get rid of it once and for all and give my people back the authority and the power over it that they were originally designed and created with. You see, sin separates us from God. It says that Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, right? But God came to give life and life more abundantly. So if Satan's stealing, killing, and destroying, he's doing it through sin. He's doing it through distraction. He's doing it. Okay, so if a thief breaks in your house, right? They're probably not going to take the gummy bears on the table, and that's all, right? They're going to take your most valuable possessions. If you don't know what's valuable in your house, let somebody break in. You'll find out real fast, okay? So a thief is only going to steal what is valuable. So if Satan comes to steal, to kill, and destroy, if Satan is a thief in our life, I want us to take a minute and look at the things that Satan tries to steal in our lives. Think about it for a minute. Does he steal your peace? Does he steal your joy? Does he steal your strength? How about your time in the word? How about distracting you from being in church? How about your prayer time? Do we see where this is going? All these things that we maybe don't necessarily see as, as great value in our life because it's so hard to get to them. If that's the number one thing Satan's trying to steal from your life, then it's of your greatest value. Satan wouldn't steal something that has no value to your purpose. Satan wouldn't steal something that has no value to who God created you to be. He only will steal things that is going to keep you from being everything that God has created you to be. And so if Satan's coming and stealing that time in the word, well, then we better double time our time in the word and go, I'm going to get violent about the things that Satan's trying to steal from my life. And I refuse to let him be stolen because we may, it may have been weeks since you've been in the word because you go, I don't really understand the importance of it. But if Satan's still in it, it has value, which means it's keeping you from walking in the fullness of God that he has for you. If our time in prayer is being stolen, then that has value. Satan wouldn't steal something. He doesn't waste his time stealing things. Notice that he doesn't like steal your habits. You always have time to watch whatever you want to watch. You always have time to be in whatever atmosphere you want to be in. You always have time to drink what you want to drink, smoke what you want to smoke. There's always time, right? 
Nobody has a hard time finding time for those things, do you? No, that's easy. It's never hard to find a reason to get out of church. It's never hard to find a reason to not give in to the flesh. It's very easy for me to be like, well, I'll fly off the handle and repent later. That's easy. It's easy to say, well, shouldn't have responded to my spouse that way, but I'll say sorry after he does. Um, that's how we respond to life. It's easy. Satan doesn't steal those things because they're of no value to him. If he can keep you in that place, he will forever derail you from your destiny. He will forever keep you. That is why, and okay, so Jesus comes to defeat sin once and for all. I said it. The only time that he used it is finished is when sin and death and the enemy were defeated on your behalf forever. The only way they have access to your life anymore is if you give it to them. They have no, he has no access unless we open the door because it was defeated, right? Okay, you hear it over and over again. A little sin here and there really isn't a big deal. A little sin here, a little sin. It's, it's really not a big deal. I can just repent. If it was not a big deal, why did Jesus die for it? Jesus died for the purpose of removing that from your life, removing its hold on you. People don't die for causes that don't matter. Jesus wouldn't have died if sin wasn't going to take you out. Jesus wouldn't have died if he thought, oh yeah, sin doesn't matter. He wouldn't have died for that, right? He did not die for something that did not matter. He died to defeat hell, sin, death once and for all. And so if it no longer, if it just doesn't matter, if it's not a big deal, then what we're saying is, Jesus, I really don't understand why you died for something that's not a big deal. I have complete control over it. Right? Because we're back to the control freak thing. I have control over this and in my life. I just choose when I do and when I don't. But we don't. We don't have that control. It is easy for us if we're not filled with the word, if we're not daily filling ourselves on the word of God, it is easy for us to step into sin instead of stepping into life. Jesus died so we wouldn't be held captive to sin, that we wouldn't have the effects of sin in our life because he knows that it will take you out. He knows that it will destroy everything that he's created you to be and every, everything that he's created for you to accomplish. It will be destroyed. So Jesus came Jesus died. Again, we want to recognize just how amazing how our, our God is in all of this, that he's not trying to set a bunch of rules. My heart more than anything in this message is that we would grab hold of how much God loves us, how big his purposes are for us, and how easily we can be deceived to thinking sin's not a big deal because that's just the scheme of the enemy, and how easily we can be deceived that the things that are being taken out of our life we'll just catch up with later, and the little decisions here and there really don't matter, and how I respond in situations really don't matter, and when I face trials, when I face struggles, when I face hard things, when I face unfair situations, that's the word that keeps coming up during COVID is this isn't fair. This isn't fair. This isn't fair. There's a lot of things in life that aren't fair, but how are we going to handle them? Are we going to handle them according to the word of God, who is true, who is just, who is going to work all things according to our good, that he's behind the scenes working for us all the time? Or are we going to turn and try to handle these things, these unjust situations, these things in our own strength and try to fix them based on what we know and what we want to accomplish and miss out on the fullness of what God has. There's only two ways for us to be able to answer those. 
only two ways to face the unjust things. But first and foremost, we have to understand our God, because if we have a misconception of who God is, we'll never trust him. Your faith will only go as far as your belief in God's goodness. Your faith will only go as far as your belief in God's goodness. If you do not believe that you have a good father, you will not trust him with matters in your life. I wouldn't trust somebody that does not have my best interest in mind. I would not trust somebody that I know is out to get me. Why would I trust them with an intense matter in my life? Why would I trust them with things that are so near and dear to my heart? Why would I trust somebody that's out to hurt me with my marriage? We wouldn't, right? And so if our perception of God is off, if our perception is anything but his goodness, anything but his faithfulness, anything but his kindness, anything but his peace, anything but his joy, anything but his love, if it's anything outside of those, then we will not trust him with those areas and we will always maintain control and keep him boxed out of the sensitive areas in our life. We'll only, only, only believe and trust in his goodness on the easy matters. Never the behind the scenes matters. Never the things that we're fighting for behind the scenes. Never the things that are really near and dear to our heart. Never the things that are so out of our control that we don't know where to turn or what to do. If we don't believe in God's goodness, we won't turn to him. We'll turn to something else. But something else doesn't have your best interest in mind. Something else will always derail your destiny. God is the only one that's going to bring fulfillment and fullness to your life. The only one. And so I want us to think of Jesus and the sacrifice that he made on the cross. Okay, so we see him and, and we know the pain that he endured. We, we've, we've read the story, the sacrifice that he made on our behalf to defeat sin. See, he didn't make a sacrifice like that to give us a bunch of rules. He made a sacrifice like that because of his unconditional love. And this is what I believe about God. Okay, that was a painful experience for Jesus. And Jesus had emotion. You know, it says that in the garden, it said, God, if, if this cup can pass from me, please let it. But your will be done. Hey, if Jesus didn't have emotion, that would have been a, a, a different thing, him going to the cross on our behalf. But the fact that he had emotion to say, man, I don't want to do this. This is going to hurt. I see the bigger picture, God, that you have in mind. But if there's any other way that we can accomplish this, please let it be. So the weight that Jesus was carrying because of us, the weight that he was carrying, and then the, the beatings, and then the, think about the embarrassment of how the king of kings, the humility that he had to walk in to die on our behalf, that the embarrassment, look at that death. That was not like a shot to the head, a sniper from millions of miles away. That was not how Jesus died. Crowns shoved in his head to where it said that his head actually swelled three times the size of what a normal head should look like. All of that pain for the purpose of defeating something on our behalf and restoring something on our behalf. But here's what I believe about that. All of that pain endured. This is what I believe about God. That it would have been more painful to live eternity separated from you than it was to watch that happen to his son. Think about that for a minute. That is as painful as that situation was, as horrid as that situation does, that huge expression of love on our behalf, that God would have to watch his son go through that for the very people that are putting him there. You guys with kids, nieces, nephews, grandchildren, whatever, 
you imagine watching them go through that for the people that are doing it to them, for the people that haven't existed yet, for the people, for the sin that is going to overtake the world. What Jesus did on the cross has already, already covered every sin that you could ever commit in life. He doesn't need to die again to make sure that our sin is covered. He did that. He took care of it once and for all. But the pain that that was did not compare to the pain of living separate from you for eternity. That's how much your God loves you. That he goes, this is less painful than not having you forever, not having a relationship with you. It is less painful to watch this happen to my son than watching sin take you out and destroy your life forever. It is less painful to have this happen to my son than watch darkness and watch the thief continue to steal and steal and steal from my people. Do we see how much God loves us? Do we see how vast his love is? And so Jesus dying wasn't a get out of hell free card. Jesus dying was that, see, here's the thing about Christians. We have to move from getting saved to living saved. Because too many of us want to get saved and take what Jesus, we want to take the benefits of the cross without living the sacrifice of the cross. And so I want to take all the benefits that Jesus died for, and I want to say that I have them, and I want to know that I'm going to heaven, but I want to live like I want. I don't actually want to live saved. I don't actually want to make decisions according to the word. I don't want to be Jesus so that God can be God. I want the benefits of Jesus, and I still want God to be God. Do we see how we twist the two? So we have to transfer over from just getting saved to living saved. In every situation in life going, no, I choose because Jesus gave me authority. Jesus gave me everything that I need for life and godliness. What Jesus took, what Jesus did gave me authority over sin, gave me authority over darkness, gave me authority over lies, gave me the authority over anything I can face in life. I have authority over it. And because I have that authority over it, then every decision I make, I don't want to give room for the enemy. I don't want to respond in anger. I don't want to respond in fear. I don't want to fly off the handle at somebody because I want to be right. Because then what did Jesus die for? That just opens the door for the enemy right back into our lives. Let's look at, oh, let's open our Bibles today. Second Corinthians 5.17. So glad the rest of you decided to come to church this morning. Actually, we're going to start in 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us. Okay, what that means right there, when looking at it in the Amplified and, and just different translation, when it said the love of, of Christ compels us, that means that is like the, the ammunition behind what we do. When the love of Christ compels you to do something, that means 
because I have an understanding of the love of God in my life, that is the, the driving point for why I do what I do. That is the driving point behind how I respond. That is the driving point behind how I respond to situations, how I respond to people, how I handle situations in my life. Because Christ compels me to do so because I'm so overwhelmed by the love of God in my life that I can't help but respond this way. I can't help but respond according to his love. So let's keep going. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, regard no one according to the flesh. Okay, that's incredible to me. Regard no one according to the flesh. So if we were to look around at everyone, okay, when I receive Jesus, Jesus no longer sees me as a result of sin. Jesus sees me as a result of the cross, right? And so what this is saying here is when I truly get a revelation of that, when I see people, I no longer see them as a result of what they've done wrong, as a result of what I know about them, as a result of who they are. I see them as a result of Jesus's love. I see them in the image of Christ. I no longer see people according to the flesh. Because why? Because we be Jesus and let God be God. Yet now we know him, thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them and has committed to us the world of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God. And so let's put this in as we, I'm sure I'm running way out of time. Um, let's put this into practical terms really quick. And we're going to look at it, one more scripture here. So all of this is good and great, but how do we actually be Jesus? How do we actually be Jesus? And that is being in the word of God. The Bible tells us to not just be hearers of the word, but to be doers, right? But it tells us that faith comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. And then it tells us several times, he who has an ear, let him hear. I always find it interesting that he doesn't say, who, he who has a mouth, let him speak. He doesn't say that, right? Because this is dangerous. This is way dangerous. I want to look at James 1. My notes are gone. Um, let's go to James 1.19. And it says, So then, my beloved brethren... Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. 
for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Okay, what's that saying here? We, we just said the only way to be Jesus in a situation and let God be God is to live according to the word. Well, this says right here to be swift to hear. So swift to hear the word of God, but also swift to hear situations in your life. Swift to hear what's going on without opening our mouth right after that. Because then it says to be slow to speak, slow to wrath, because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so in every situation that we face, we are quick to hear, but when we hear, we take that and we apply it to the word and go, okay, I want the word to come out of my mouth. I want to respond in a way that honors God. I want to be Jesus in this situation so that God can be God. So I'm going to hear this. I'm going to hear the word and what the word says about it. Then I'm going to speak only what God has me to speak. I'm going to speak in the wisdom of God. And then I'm going to let the righteousness of God handle the situation, not my own anger. Because how many of you guys know that it is too easy for us to hear a situation, face a situation, face a circumstance in life. And immediately we got to rattle off our feelings about it. And then we're angry about it. Well, then we've played it in our head 50 times now. So now we're angrier. So now we're going to handle it how I think it should be handled. And then it's just a big mess in the end, right? But we didn't handle it the way Jesus would handle it. We handled it the way we would handle it. And we have to submit those situations to the word of God. Now let's keep reading. It says, therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. That's that activation. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Do we want to be blessed in what we do? We want to be blessed in what we do. We want to have God's hand on everything we do. When we have a God that loves us as much as God loves us, when we have a God that has so much in store for us, I don't want to live life without him. I don't want to handle situations without him because it will always fall short of the fullness and the greatness and the vastness that he has for that situation. I don't want to respond one time in a situation out of my own feelings that'll ruin my reputation and ruin my testimony moving forward. And it could take one time of just lashing out. It could take one time versus saying, I choose to respond to God behind the scenes. I choose to live saved and not just get saved. See, just getting saved says, I'm gonna respond however I feel. I'm gonna respond however I want. I'm gonna respond whatever makes me feel best. And I'm gonna respond that way. And then I'm gonna ask for God's forgiveness later. I'm gonna read my Bible, but I'm not gonna do what it says. I'm just gonna hear what it says. I'm never gonna activate what God has in store for that situation. So we know the word. We have lots of Christians that know and know and know and know and know and know and know so much word that it's crazy, but there's very little activation. That's why we have conversation after conversation after conversation with someone that's struggling with something, someone that's walking through something and they have all the right answers. You guys ever talk to someone like that? They have all the Christian answers. They can quote scripture up one side and down the other. 
but we see no fruit in their life. Why? Because they hear the word. They got saved, but it was never an application, an activation to live saved. And only when we live saved, only when we decide, I choose to be Jesus in all situations in my life, and I choose to let God be God. I choose to be Jesus, and I choose to let God be God. And as we close, you guys can go ahead and stand with me.